Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, February 2nd episode. That would be episode 155 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a proud member of the Christian podcast community. Uh, you can find Christian podcast community podcasts over at podcasts.strivingforeternity.org. Um, definitely a bunch of great podcasts over there. Um, I listened to a number of them, and I'd listen to more if I had more time in the day. I kind of run out of time, but they are wonderful. Definitely worth your time. Um, definitely very, very edifying. So I would definitely encourage you to go over there and uh, pick up some more podcasts. I mean, I know it can be tough to find time in the day, but it's definitely worth your time. So let's go ahead and let's jump straight in. We're on our uh, Thursday of the week, the fifth day of the week. So we're going to go ahead and open up with our fifth day morning prayer. It's called The Giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things, we cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence. Help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves, but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state, and by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right. Sorry. There we go. All right. Now our morning devotion for February 2nd from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text is Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. This is the voice of unalterable truth. In none of the Jewish ceremonies were sins even typically removed without blood shedding. In no case, by no means, can sin be pardoned without atonement. It is clear then that there is no hope. I'm sorry. It is clear then that there is no hope for me out of Christ. For there is no other bloodshedding which is worth a, a thought as an atonement for sin. Am I then believing in him? Is the blood of his atonement truly applied to my soul? All men are on a level as to their need of him. If we be never so moral, generous, amiable, or patriotic, the rule will not be altered to make an exception for us. 
Sin will yield to nothing less potent than the blood of him whom God hath set forth as a propitiation. What a blessing that there is the one way of pardon. Why should we seek another? Persons of merely formal religion cannot understand how we can rejoice that all our sins are forgiven us for Christ's sake. Their works and prayers and ceremonies give them very poor comfort, and well may they be uneasy, for they are neglecting the one great salvation and endeavoring to get remission without blood. My soul, sit down and behold the justice of God, as bound to punish sin. See that punishment all executed upon thy Lord Jesus, and fall down in humble joy, and kiss the dear feet of him whose blood has made atonement, has made atonement sorry, for thee. It is in vain when conscience is aroused to fly to feelings and evidences for comfort. This is a habit which we learned in the Egypt of our legal bondage. The only restorative for a guilty conscience is a sight of Jesus suffering on the cross. The blood is the life thereof, says the Levitical law. And let us rest assured that it is the life of faith and joy in every other holy grace. Oh, how sweet to view the flowing of my Savior's precious blood with divine assurance knowing he has made my peace with God. Amen. And that definitely applies to the verses we've been dealing with in the evening segments in our Bible study about those who are so caught up in their in their performances instead of in a true faith in Christ. All right. So we're going to commence our reading. We're going to be reading um, again, typically, as we do, in Exodus, Matthew, Psalm, and Proverbs. So we're going to start in Exodus 15, starting with verse 19. All right. And hang on a second. All right. So here we go. Hear the word of the Lord. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and Yahweh brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. And Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, Sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses had Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And they came to Marah, but they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Mo Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the waters became sweet. There he set for them a statute and a judgment, and there he tested them. And he said, If you will earnestly listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, Yahweh, am your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water, and seventy date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. All right, Exodus 16. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to put this whole assembly to death with hunger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out. Sorry. 
shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my law. Now it will be on the sixth day they shall prepare what they bring in, and it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that Yahweh has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of Yahweh, for he hears your grumblings against Yahweh, and what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, This will happen when Yahweh gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For Yahweh hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against Yahweh. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before Yahweh, for he has heard your grumblings. Now it happened, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, that they turned toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of Yahweh appeared in the cloud. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, so that you shall know that I am Yahweh your God. So it happened at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. Then the layer of dew evaporated, and behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. And the sons of Israel saw it, and said to one another, What is it? Sorry. What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which Yahweh has given you to eat. This is what Yahweh has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece, according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. And the son of, sons of Israel did so. Some gathered much, and some little, and they measured it with an omer, and he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. And Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But the sun would grow hot, and it would melt. Now it happened that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, as much bread, two omers for each one. Then all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said to them, This is what Yahweh has spoken. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to Yahweh. Bake what you will, bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is in excess put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had commanded, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is, is a Sabbath to Yahweh. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then Yahweh said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, Yahweh has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel named it manna. And it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. Then Moses said, This is what Yahweh has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, 
Take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it and place it before Yahweh to be kept throughout your generations. As Yahweh commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the sons of Israel ate the manna forty years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is a tenth of an ephah. All right. In Exodus 17, we're going to read through to verse 7. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of Yahweh. And they camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you test Yahweh? But the people thirsted there for water. And they grumbled against sorry, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to put us and our children and our livestock to death with thirst? So Moses cried out to Yahweh, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he named the place Massah and Meribah, because of the contending of the sons of Israel, and because they tested Yahweh, saying, Is Yahweh among us or not? All right, Matthew 22, we're going to read verse 1 through 33. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been called to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been called, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were called were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highway, and as many as you find there call to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Then the Pharisees went and took counsel together about how they might trap him and what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Therefore tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their wickedness, said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they marveled, and leaving him, they went away. 
On that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up a a seed for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no seed, he left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third, down to the seventh, and last of all the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. All right, Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6 of David. Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the strong defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in this I trust. One thing I have asked from Yahweh, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of Yahweh, and to inquire in his temple. For in the day of calamity he will conceal me in his shelter, in the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with loud shouts of joy. I will sing, and I will sing praises to Yahweh. All right, and Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 26. My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not abandon the law of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep watch over you. And when you awake, they will speak to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the foreign woman. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an an adulteress hunts for the precious life. All right, well that is our reading for the day. Um, I realized I didn't do this at the beginning, but I want to point out to you um, the links in the show notes. um, Typically there are regular links that we read. Um, from and all of that that I'm reading from but I do want you to notice the very last link in the show notes it is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give Sin Go campaign Uh, we are working right now to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can quickly shift gears and commence establishing excuse me commence establishing a Christian classic education based school to provide a solid place for our children and our grandchildren to go to school and be educated. Um, so, and this is, this is to not, not only for our church, but this is for our community to provide a good place that can truly provide a solid education as unfortunately that's becoming harder and harder to get come by, um, in this world. So, um, we would ask three things of you. We would ask you to, um, well, we would ask you to pray for us, we would ask you to prayerfully consider giving. Um, and you can read about all of it if you click on the link. And you can go read before you do anything. 
But again, like I said, we would like you to pray for us. We would like you to prayerfully consider giving, and we would like you to pass the link on so that uh, others can do the same thing, can consider praying for us, um, prayerfully give, prayerfully consider giving and passing the link on as well. Um, and we would definitely be grateful for you even just giving any time and thought to it. All right. Well, again, that is going to be our morning segment. Um, I hope you have a great day. I, I would implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. The prayer we're going to close out with is called Privileges. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, teach me to know that grace precedes accompanies. I'm sorry, that grace precedes, accompanies, and follows my salvation, that it sustains the redeemed soul, that not one link of its chain can ever break. From Calvary's cross, wave upon wave of grace reaches me, deals with my sin, washes me clean, renews my heart, strengthens my will, draws out my affection, kindles a flame in my soul, rules throughout my inner man, consecrates my every thought, word, work, teaches me thy immeasurable love. How great are my privileges in Christ Jesus. Without him I stand far off, a stranger and outcast. In him I draw near and touch his kingly scepter. Without him I dare not lift up my guilty eyes. In him I gaze upon my father God and friend. Without him I hide my lips in trembling shame. In him I open my mouth in petition and praise. Without him all is wrath and consuming fire. In him is all love and the repose of my soul. Without him is gaping hell below me and eternal anguish. In him its gates are barred to me by his precious blood. Without him darkness spreads its horrors in front. In him an eternity of glory is my boundless horizon. Without him all within me is terror and dismay. In him every accusation is charmed into joy and peace. Without him all things external call for my condemnation. In him they minister to my comfort, and are to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. Praise be to thee for grace, and for the unspeakable gift of Jesus. Amen. All right, again, hope you have a great day, and God willing, I'll see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, February 2nd episode. That's episode 155 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is recently a proud member of the Christian podcast community. Uh, you can find their podcasts over, or our podcasts over at podcast.strivingforeternity.org. Um, you could have also find some wonderful blog posts and stuff over at strivingforeternity.org, the parent site. Um, there are definitely some wonderful podcasts. The fact is I got four different of the podcasts over there that I already listened to. And the only reason it's not more is because I don't have any, enough time in the day um, between a full-time job and everything else. I just don't have the time in the day to listen to more, which is terrible because there's so many good ones that I want to listen to. Um, and I would tell you this, whether I was over there or not, I would tell you to go listen to them. Fact is you may get over there and find something you'd rather to listen, to, rather listen to other than myself. And I'm all for that. That, that is totally okay with me. Um, because you would be, you will be wonderfully, wonderfully filled and edified by the, by your time spent over there. Um, all right. Oh, and I want to remind you, um, the last link in my show notes for each podcast, 
um, is a link for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. We are working to quickly, rapidly pay off our mortgage so we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide our children and grandchildren a safe place, um, a good place to get a good education, um, to provide the education we think our children deserve, which we don't feel like they're getting in other places. And this is for our community as a whole that we're trying to support this. So we would ask three things of you. Uh, one, please go ahead and click on the link, get over there and you can read description about what we're trying to do. Um, a little bit more thorough than what I'm giving you here. Um, but then we would ask three things of you that you would pray for us, that you would prayerfully consider giving to us and that you would pass the links on to other people so they can do the same thing. All right. So this evening we're going to continue on in our study in uh, John five and Messiah dealing with the Messiah and his witnesses. And we're going to go ahead and open up with a prayer from Valley Vision called Covenant. Covenant. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, grant me the favor of being led by thee under the direction of thy providence and thy word. Grant me thy blessings with bitter things to brighten and quicken me, not to depress and make me lifeless. Grant me, like Gideon of old, way tokens by removing things that discourage me. Grant me succor beneath the shadow of thy sympathy, which I am tempted. Um, of thy sympathy when I am tempted, excuse me, accept my unceasing thanks that I am not cast off from thy hand as a darkened star on a rudderless vessel. Suffer not my life to extend beyond my usefulness. Cast me not under the feet of pride, injustice, riches, worldly greatness, selfish oppression of men. Help me to wait patiently, silently upon thee, not to be enraged or speak unadvisedly. Let thy mercy follow me while I live and give me aid to resign myself to thy will. Take my heart and hold it in thy hand. Write upon it reverence to thyself with an inscription that time and eternity cannot erase. To thy grace and the care of thy covenant, I commit myself in sickness and in health. For thou hast overcome the world, fulfilled the law, finished justifying righteousness, swallowed up death in victory, and taken all power everywhere. Mark this covenant with thine own blood in the court of forgiving mercy. Attach unto it thy name in which I believe, for it is sealed by my unworthy mortal hand. Amen. All right, and the evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 2nd. The text is First Chronicles 4.22, and these are ancient things. Yet not so ancient as those precious things which are the delight of our souls. Let us for a moment recount them, telling them over as misers count their gold. That the sovereign choice of the Father, by which he elected us unto eternal life, or ever the earth was, is a matter of vast antiquity, since no date can be conceived for it by the mind of man. We were chosen from before the foundations of the world. Everlasting love went with the choice for it. Went, I'm sorry, went with the choice, for it was not a bare act of divine will by which we were set apart, but the divine affections were concerned. The Father loved us in and from the beginning. Here is a theme for daily contemplation. The eternal purpose to redeem us from our foreseen ruin, to cleanse and sanctify us, and at last to glorify us, was of infinite antiquity, and runs side by side with immutable love and absolute sovereignty. The covenant is always described as being everlasting, and Jesus, the second party in it, had his goings forth of old. He struck hands in sacred surety ship, long ere the first of the stars began to shine and it was in him that the elect were ordained unto eternal life. 
Thus, in the divine purpose, a most blessed covenant union was established between the Son of God and his elect people, which will remain as the foundation of their safety, when time shall be no more. Is it not well to be conversant with these ancient things? Is it not shameful that they should be so much neglected and even rejected by the bulk of professors? If they knew more of their own sin, would they not be more ready to adore distinguishing grace? Let us both admire and adore tonight as we sing, A monument of grace, a sinner saved by blood, the streams of love I trace, up to the fountain, God, and in this sa- in his sacred bosom see eternal thoughts of love to me. All right. Well, that is our uh, devotion for this evening. Like I said, we're continuing on in our study of uh, John chapter 5, and we've been dealing with the Messiah and his witnesses. So our text for today is a single verse. It's verse 36. I'm going to back you up to verse 33, where we really start. Well, actually, we start in verse 31 and 32, dealing with the witnesses. But we really jump in with the witness of John the Baptist in verse 33. So I'm going to read verse 33 through verse 36. You have sent to John, and he was has borne witness to the truth. But the witness I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in, in his light. But the witness I have is greater than the witness of John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So, you know, we've, we've been talking about, and we've talked about a few, to, a few times throughout all this, you know, that the purpose of the Gospel of John um, can be seen in John 20, verse 31. It says, But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So again, what it means there is that we that that all these all these testimonies by Jesus, all these miracles he does, have been written down by John the Apostle, apostle, so that we we would believe Jesus is truly the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that in believing that we would have life in His name, we would have eternal life, we would have a saving faith, so we would come to salvation. So you know, I've talked before how the Gospel of John fulfills that above purpose. We see eight specific miracles that the Apostle John focuses on, eight specific miracles. And, and of course, he, he also mentions that there are others that do take place, but he focuses on eight specific to make his point. But then we also see Jesus making clear claims about himself that are backed up by prophecy. I mean, in some cases, he actually even quotes prophecy himself to make clear that it's him that he is the one prophesied about. He is that prophet Moses spoke of back in the book of Exodus. There's there's going to be a prophet come from among you. That's Jesus. That That's who it was. I mean, and that was the thing. Even the, even the Pharisees realized that prophet was coming. It's the Jewish leadership, when they came out to question John the Baptist in um, John chapter 1, they asked if he was the prophet. That's who they were talking about. Well, Jesus has made clear he's that. But then we also see that Jesus um, is capable of and has the power to, to execute the two resurrections, the spiritual resurrection and the th- physical resurrection, and that he has that power to perform both. And we'll actually see him perform perform both. I mean, he provides for the spiritual resurrection, our coming to a saving faith in Christ, but then the physical resurrection where he resurrects a number of people, particularly Lazarus, that we always think of, um, 
I think it's the the son of the man of Nain and then the daughter of somebody else um, that I went blank on. So sorry. But then we see Jesus bring forward these witnesses that also make clear of this. So, like I said before, we've come out the end of the Pool of Bethesda, the occurrence at the Pool of Bethesda. He heals a man who's been lame for 38 years. Lame for 38 years. And he does an amazing miracle. Instantly heals this man. And the Pharisees are so caught up in their false religion. That's why I was thinking about the, the morning devotional here with, with Spurgeon's morning and evening talking about people that just practice a faith, but don't really have a faith. Um, they are so caught up in what they've turned, what the beautiful thing God gave them into that. They're more caught up on the fact that he violated the rabbinical statutes. They put in place that actually contradicted the law of God. Then the fact that he had just done a miracle, he was showing that he is the Christ, the son of God, and they were more caught up in their, their false religion. Um, and we know that Jesus knew the mind of men. We know he does. Um, you know, we saw that in John two, verse 23 through 25, that he wasn't willing to trust it to him. Um, we even see Jesus call out the Jewish leadership, Mark seven, um, verses one through 13 that I read you last evening, uh, where he makes very, very clear that you turn around and you put your rabbinical laws ahead of the laws of God to invalidate them. And he calls them hypocrites. Um, he, he really rebukes them with that. So again, he goes, so we, we hit the point that they're, they're questioning Jesus. And, and this has basically become kind of an impromptu trial. Now there, there's not necessarily going to be any ma magical punishment or anything at the end of this per se. It's, it's not that this is an official court of law, but they've come accusing him. And so he's answering the accusations. Of course, he's not answering the, the accusation of the fact that he violated the rabbinical law. He's making very, very clear that he is the Christ, the son of God. Therefore, he's not beholding to their rabbinical law, that he's beholden to the law of God and that the Sabbath is actually made for him, not him for the Sabbath. So again, we saw that he showed his equality. He's shown his power to execute both resurrections. And in the previous few evening evenings, we've seen Jesus begin to call his witnesses, starting with himself and God, and then John the Baptist. So in our verses this evening, we continue to see Jesus bring witnesses, and we're going to do that for the next couple of even, evenings. We've actually, I think I've got five more evenings of witnesses to deal with, but he calls them to the stand to attest to his being the Christ, the son of God. And the witness he's going to call tonight are his works alone. And we've got to remember, so it's really, really easy in our day and time when it talks about witnesses here, we kind of missed the strength of what this is about Jesus bringing the witnesses. And I'm going to keep bringing this up and I keep doing it because I want to make sure just in case somebody hasn't heard the previous episodes that they understand the strength of what Jesus is doing here. We live in a day and time where we've got all kinds of technology um, for DNA matching and fingerprint and all that kind of stuff and video and everything else where, where in some cases we are able to gather physical evidence that can place people in locations that they claim they're not being. So they can give false testimony, a false witness, and we can prove it false. But back in that day, the best, the, the, the best that they had in their courts 
or the testimony of witnesses. And of course, we've seen that it's very, very clear. We see even G- Jesus comment on the fact that if he testifies about himself, and, and the indication is, and if that is the only testimony about him, then it's not true. Now, again, like I said, he's not saying that it's false. He's saying that that does not in itself have enough strength because he knows the Mosaic law, that it's two or three. It's got to be voices of two or three witnesses before uh, before an act is taken up, before before um, prosecution is taken up. I don't mean in an ugly sense, but before enactment, before a court is taken up, two or three witnesses. So again, I mean, you'd have to have two or three people lying exactly the same, which was not typical back then. There, there was a fear of God calling them out. But that was the thing. So the strength for them was bringing witnesses forward. And we've seen Christ already bring himself forward, make, make a brief um, indication of God being a testimony to him, which we'll deal with um, tomorrow evening, God willing, in verses 37 and 38 again. And then John the Baptist. We saw that in verses uh, 33 through 35, the John the Baptist forward as being a witness. So he's already got three solid but he's going to go on with his works today. And, and it, like I said, we can get really caught up in the technology, but, but let's be real. And, and admittedly, this was a few years ago and it was a few years ago when I, when I printed this up and I saw in my old notes, but I want to bring it up and whether you agree with the verdict or not, you have to, you have to acknowledge the strength of witnesses, even in our day. The Kyle Rittenhouse trial, whether you agree with what he did or not, whether you agree with him being there or not, whether, you, whether you're happy with the verdict that came down or whatever. And and please understand, I, I, I don't wish anybody to have died that evening. But the testimony by one of the people that he supposed that 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 he was being tried for supposedly harming. That man's own testimony confirmed what Kyle Rittenhouse did and, and strengthened Kyle Rittenhouse's case to where he was acquitted by that man's testimony, that man's testimony, making clear that that man shouldn't have done what he did and what he did actually put Kyle Rittenhouse at the point of being in fear for his life and made the jury believe that Rittenhouse felt in fear for his life and thus was defending himself in our day and time of technology. That man's testimony, along with the physical evidence and video and everything else, it made that jury see that. So this is the strength of the, of the witnesses. So don't don't sit there and go, oh yeah, witnesses, okay, whatever. No, no, no. In this day and time with Jesus Christ, in the, in the, I mean, it's still strong in our day and time, but there in the first century, first century Palestine, it was huge. It was huge. So like I said, we're looking at the works. Christ brings forward his works as the testimony. So we see here in verse 36, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. And as I stated last evening, Jesus is not here denigrating the testimony of John. The testimony of John is something that by the Jews own behavior, they believed in at least to a certain extent. So it was a valid witness. And that's why he brings it, brings it forward. Um, However, um, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to look something up here that I didn't bother to look up in print. Um, sorry, I'm going to have to search. There we go. Um, and we see in 1 John 5, 9, that was what I didn't look up. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater than 
For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness about his son. So, like I said, 1 John 5, 9 shows clearly that which is greater that, that Jesus is speaking of here. But the witness I have is greater than the witness of John. So the testimony of God also comes through the works that God... So, so we had the testimony of God, which we saw in verse 32, a reference to from Jesus. But like I said, we're going to see tomorrow evening, God willing, verses, in verses 37 and 38. But the testimony of God also comes through the works that God gave to Jesus. That's the reference he's making here. The witness I have is greater than the witness of God. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. God is testifying to the deity of Jesus Christ through the works God has given him to do and that Jesus is accomplishing. He's given him great works, miraculous works to do. And, and miraculous as in what happens and then miraculous as in how he lives. And that Jesus is carrying them out. He has the power to carry them out. And he has the spirit, the Holy Spirit to carry them out. The spirit of truth to carry them out. So let's look at the works. Now many people when they talk about the works of Christ, they're going to immediately jump to the miracles. And yes, those miraculously point to the deity of Jesus Christ. But if we do that and do that alone, we miss something. And I think first we should look at more general works that the Father gave Jesus to do. And so we're going to talk about them here. These would be Jesus' whole life and ministry. His birth from a virgin visited by an angel to proclaim it and then by the Holy Spirit to conceive. When Jesus came to be baptized by John the Baptist and John indicated that Jesus should baptize him to fulfill all righteousness in Matthew 3.15. He's holding to the Mosaic law better than any man ever will because he's holding to it perfectly, which man can't do, which leads to the fact that he led a perfectly sinless life, like I said, which no man had ever done or would do and that only a deity could do. And then we see Jesus's resistance to the temptations of Satan through everything he's been through, all that he's done. He resists the temptations of Satan in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. We see Jesus' ability to call such disparate men together to be his disciples. If you, if you really, men that for all intents and purposes were completely unsuited for the work he was calling them to. Completely unsuited, but what he turned them into, then what the Holy Spirit turned them into, and what they accomplished was so out of proportion as what it should have been. It spread Christianity throughout the world. How amazing is that? We saw at 12 years old during the Passover celebration, Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem and his parents had to return and find him, Luke uh, 2, 46-52. Behavior which completely separated Jesus from man. He was in there speaking to the religious leaders and he was flooring them. And he's a 12-year-old boy. And then the crowd's response to the Sermon on the Mount at Matthew 7, 28 and 29, they're just so blown away because this man is so far beyond any religious leader they have, any prophet they've ever had or heard of. But then we see Jesus' rejection at Nazareth. 
all which makes very very clear i mean he got treated very clearly like a prophet the prophet doesn't doesn't get any honor especially in his home country so as i indicated it is important for you and i to see that the general works that god gave jesus to do in my opinion are as important as the miracles in speaking of his deity None of these were being accomplished by the normal Jew in the street or even the religious elite, the most learned, but I mean, the Pharisees who were established to specifically bring back piety, holiness, and they couldn't do it, but Jesus could. But this carpenter from Nazareth in Galilee, a place that most people didn't care for. I mean, we, we saw what um, Nathaniel, I think it was Nathaniel makes the makes the comment um it was him or philip no it was nathaniel makes the comment about nazareth yeah people in nazareth were not well thought of but that he is able to walk that perfect life it was truly amazing even in his daily walk but of course we also have to look at the miracles that jesus did that testified to his deity in the gospel of john alone we see eight specific ones that john the apostle focuses on he turns the water into wine, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. He heals the royal official's son from a distance, no less, in John 4, verses 46 through 54. He heals the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, which we've seen, John 5, verses 1 through 17. He feeds the 5,000, which God willing will be coming to in the next week or so, which is John 6, verses 1 through 14. He walks on water and stills a storm on the Sea of Galilee, John 6, verses 15 through 21. And let me tell you what, storms come up fast on the Sea of Galilee. I've seen it happen. I haven't been out on the sea, but I've seen it happen. And it is terrifying. Um, he heals a man blind from birth, John 9, verses 1 through 41. He raises Lazarus from the dead, John 11, verses 17 through 45. He causes an abundant catch of fish, John, 2, John 21, verse 6. And let's not forget his own resurrection itself. Jesus speaks of this in John 10, verses 17 and 18. And we also know that there are many others that occurred. The other gospels speak of others. And even John the apostle, John the evangelist speaks of there being others in John 4, 45. And we also see Jesus report to John the Baptist about all that is going on that is not dealt with in the gospel of John specifically, or even in some of the other gospels at Luke 7, verses 20 through 23, as he were, as he tells John the Baptist's disciples to take back to John. But all of these testified to Jesus' deity. The Jews had not seen miracles in hundreds of years, and then only by God himself or men specifically sent by God to prophesy to the Jewish people, um, Elijah and Elisha. These works, both the general, his life, and the particular, the miracles clearly testified to Jesus' deity. And as Matthew Henry points out in his commentary, Jesus himself declared on the cross, it is finished. And on his ascension, upon his ascension, sat down at the right hand of God because his work was done. What an awesome testimony his work is. And he brings that forward to telling, telling them this. But the witness I have is greater than the witness of John for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. He points to those works and some of these he's already done and there's record of them and this Jewish leadership knows about it. They know about his works. They know about his life. It, it, this isn't, this isn't, you know, um, 
as small as Palestine is, even though it was walking travel and they didn't have the internet or any of that kind of stuff, they knew about this man. The things he was doing ran back and forth across that country like wildfire. They knew. But they are so caught up in maintaining their power base and maintaining their false religion and maintaining their rabbinical statutes even in contradiction to the Mosaic law. And I know I keep hammering this home, but that's because that's what's happening in our world today. There are so, so many faith-based groups out there, um, whole churches, or and I'm talking whole like denominations that claim to be Christian or individual churches or, or groupings of churches scattered back and forth that are just, just so caught up on the rules and regulations they want to create and, 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 and or in moving into and getting in lockstep with the culture around them, this culture of death, this culture of depravity, this culture of Sodom and Gomorrah that we live in throughout our world. It's not just in, the, in America, though American is, America is doing a great job of trying to hold up the Sodom banner. They really are. But the rest of the world is doing the same thing. Believe me, we, we are nowhere near the best or the worst. We're right in the middle, middle of the pack with everybody else. It's horrific that's going on around us. And we've got churches that claim that they are Christian, that claim that they are part of the body of Christ, that are caught up with the statutes or that are caught up with the practices of society and have turned what the beautiful thing that Christ brought to us, just like the Israelites did, and so twisted here that we see the Pharisees have twisted this thing into that Jesus has to deal with. We have to deal with today because the supposed Christian church has done exactly the same thing. And we've got to resist that. We've got to fight back about that. We've got to We've got to focus on the Jesus of the Bible. That's what we've got to preach. That's what we've got to teach. That's what we've got to evangelize. That's what we've got to focus on. That's what we've got to, like I said, have a death grip on. We've got to know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. He is our Savior. And like I said, like I said last evening, we've got to know he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that he's the only way to the Father, the only way to salvation. We've got to know that we are filthy sinners and that sin and any supposedly righteous acts we commit are as filthy rags before God. And, and again, I'm not trying to be gross, but that filthy rags, we can sit there and go, oh, yeah, oily rag. No, 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 no. This was like used menstrual cloth. And I'm not trying to be gross. I, you need to understand how worthless and disgusting any supposedly righteous acts we, we carry out. We have no righteousness other than that provided by Christ. That for those who believe Jesus Christ takes the filthy rags of our sin and puts it on himself and covers us with his pure robes of righteousness. We've got to know that Jesus Christ faces the wrath of God for the sins of the believer, for you and I if we believe, since we're completely unable to do so and pay our debt to God for them. And we've got to know that this allows you and I to stand before God holy and blameless, as Ephesians 1.4 indicates. 
That's the gift of grace, the gift of faith. And our verses today give us ample evidence, ample testimony, our verse today, ample testimony, ample witness to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is our Savior, and that if we will only believe, we will have eternal life in the name of Christ. And I know I'm repeating myself, but it is urgent that you know this. It is urgent that you know this beyond an intellectual grasp, that you know this soul deep, and that it is what drives you every day. Because the fact is, and again, I'm not a doomsayer and I'm not, I'm not spouting eschatology here, but we are in the last days. Honestly, we've been in the last days since Christ's resurrection, but we are truly in the last days. And I'm not turning around trying to claim that that Christ is coming again tomorrow. I, I don't know. None of us do. Anybody that claims they do, I would worry about them. But we are in the last days and we have to live like Christ is coming tomorrow. And that means we've got, one, we've got to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And two, we've got to take it to all the world. We've got to make disciples of all nations. And we've got to start right at home with our own families. But then we got to take it to our neighbors. We got to take it to our coworkers. We've got to take it to our community around us. And we got to take it to all the nations. And we've got to continue the work that God has given us. And to do that, again, we've got to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in our verses today, it makes absolutely clear that that is true. All right, we're going to go ahead and close out with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called Protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger, that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease, that we may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross, that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, well, thank you for spending your time with you, with, with me this evening. Um, I would pray that this time together has been edifying for you um, and has made you think about what you got to hold on to, what you got to know soul deep, and what you got to do with it. Um, I hope you have a wonderful evening. God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Have a great night. God bless. Mm-hmm.